0: Simply Complex is brought to you by Studio 71 and the YouTube channel, How To Make Everything. If you look around you, you'll probably see glass. Whether it's on the device you're listening on or a window in your car or a building, it's even in electronics and the internet through fiber optics. On How To Make Everything, Andy has made multiple things from glass. He's made a glass bottle, a microscope, a telescope, glasses, and now he's working on a camera lens. He's also working on a YouTube play button using a couple different kinds of glass and material. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today as well. However, Andy has run into problem after problem trying to manufacture his own glass from scratch. The first time he made glass from scratch, he thought you could just use sand and melt it down to make glass. However, he discovers that it's way more complex than that. So in this episode, we talk about the process it actually takes to make clear glass. Because after all, he's working on lenses this week. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Here's the conversation. In today's modern world, we are always in such
1: a hurry. We rarely stop to think about the things that keep the gears turning. On Simply Complex, we explore the people, technologies, items, and processes that, while at one point were considered outstanding, have today become so commonplace, we take them for granted.
0: How's it going, Andy? Good. How are you, Taylor? Doing well. So, what have you been working on this week? Oh, everything. Uh, Lots of
1: glass. Really, what kind of glass? Uh, Trying to make a camera lens. Ooh! Also working on the the play button, which is partially made out going to be made out of glass, and uh, I'm failing on all of it. <laughs> what What do you mean? Having some issues with the annealing is the biggest thing I think right now, which is the uh, the slow cooling of the glass so that it doesn't have an internal pressure. Of the outside cooling faster than the inside, that forces it to like just shatter on its own. I have some cool footage of that. It'll be in a future video of it just Ooh. exploding by just sitting there doing nothing. So that's like
0: if you make coffee and then rinse out the pot with really cold water and it shatters. Yeah. Okay.
1: Has that ever happened to you in real life? One time I had a pie in a glass pie thing. I kept putting it in the freezer and then I'm like, oh, I should warm this up, so I put it in the oven and then walk away and hear an explosion. (laughs) Oh, you're not supposed to do that. (laughs) So what kinds of glass have you tried to make? It's the biggest one I've been aiming for is optical grade lenses that are transparent and uh, can be used for making lenses of a variety of types. So that's just uh, grabbing a bunch of sand and like melting it down? That's what I initially thought. We first did the glass with making a bottle from scratch. So doing a series on different bottles through history, started with like an ostrich egg or bottle gourds that you grew, went to um, ceramics. Making pottery, and then that went into uh, glassmaking. So we went worked with a local glass studio, Fosai, and they were really they were really intrigued to help. Most glassblowers today don't really work that way; they just buy a pre-made mix. So they were curious and they wanted to try it too. And they informed me that it's not just sand; you also need a thing called flux, which is uh, can be a variety of different compounds that are added to it that make it basically easier to work with because technically you can make glass with just sand, but it requires a super high temperature, and then it's very hard to like shape and work with. So the flux is just a variety of different compounds that lower the melting point and make it easier to work with than just straight sand. That's super interesting. What does flux have to do with a flux capacitor then? Uh, nothing. <laughs> Bummer. Okay, so it's not
0: just sand, it has some flux in it. What is flux usually made of then?
1: Uh, there are a few different ones. One of the most common ones is uh, soda ash. Okay. Which is uh, sodium carbonate. Historically, there's also been potash has been used, which is potassium carbonate. I've tried using both of those. Potassium carbonate is a little bit easier to get because, at least here in Minnesota, you can just get it from ashes from a tree. You just take the ashes, soak them in water, strain all the solid particles, and then boil it down, and you should be left with mostly potassium carbonate. So that's what I did several times to try and do it. Got better as I went, but uh, most glass today uses sodium carbonate, soda ash, which um, is a little bit harder to get because you have to get it either, either um, in like salt plains or at the ocean because of the sodium. So it's not just melting down sodas then? No. <laughs> My jokes have one track. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, getting that was actually a lot more difficult than that required a trip out to Wyoming to collect it from a lake. We also got another source, which would be a, a plant that grows in desert areas, and we got that in Utah. and tried using that, too. Uh, what plant? It's called pickleweed. Okay. You can actually cook it up and eat it. It supposedly tastes like pickles. No way. I, I didn't think it really tasted that way. <laughs> <laughs> might be the saltiness, because that's what you're after is the sodium that it contains.
0: So glass is everywhere in our lives. Pretty much, yeah. What were the most surprising
1: areas you discovered that there was glass when you started to make it? I don't know if I was necessarily surprised, but I just became more aware of it. Once I kind of adopted the whole how to make everything kind of mantra, like I need to make everything, and then it's like how do I make this thing or this thing or this thing, and then it's like you start to realize, oh, glass is in that, it's in that. It's in my drinking glass. It's in uh, my computer screen or phone screen. Um, It's potentially in your eyeglasses. There is plastic that's becoming more popular but glass is still used in other areas. So it, it becomes a very important aspect of needing for a lot of different things.
0: So glass today is used in a variety of, of ways. There's like packaging and storage, jars for food, you know, glasses, bottles, uh, containers for like cosmetics or whatever. Um, there's tableware, which are like plates and stuff and cups and bowls, we, obviously windows, you know, and architectural uses of glass. There's sculpture. There are mirrors, there are tables. Yeah, it's just like everything. Cooking appliances, screens, windshields, yeah, and aircraft. Like So windshields are a totally different glass technology, which has seen a lot of recent innovation. Uh, then there's like medical stuff, apparently, and there's optical glass. I didn't know this, but there's also like glass that can
1: protect like from r- different kinds of radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you know about that? Uh, when we were out in California, we were talking to this uh, geologist, mineral. he's a rock guy. I think that's what he calls himself. He, he collects rocks and drives cars or something like that. He has, Play that clip right now. Wake up next to a wonderful wife, drive a bunch of bitching cars, and I play with rocks. <laughs> Can you ask for a better job than that? He's the, he's the guy who kind of looks like Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. (laughs) But he was telling us how you're able to mix like a compound like lead into it, into glass, and that will be uh, thick enough to like shield radiation, but you can still see through it, which is kind of interesting. You can mix something, a solid metal with glass and get something that both protects you from radiation, but is also transparent enough to see. And that was uh, used for like protection from nuclear explosions. So you could witness it, but not, you know, die. That's incredible. From the little bit of research I've done,
0: that's really common now to to mix metals into glass.
1: Yeah, there's a. Um, they all have kind of different characteristics. They add a lot of metals can be added for coloring, and that's kind of a byproduct. I got is that the sand I used had some form of iron in it that would end up in the end results, and that would turn it either blue or green. Where did you find sand? I collected it from the Mississippi River. Speaking of windshields, it's actually a former four plant that was right. Near where we collected, they used to collect that sand for making uh, four shields. They, they actually like have a cave system underneath that they would dig it out from. No way. Yeah. Haven't been able to get into there. <laughs> Did you just have to go to the beach and start digging? Yeah, probably. <laughs> just, that'd be amazing.
0: We'll be back with the rest of the story right after this. Have you tried any other
1: different kinds of sand? Um, have collected from a few different areas around there, and interestingly, they tend to result in different colors. Like, there's different concentrations of impurities in them that sometimes make it through. I try to remove them through a few chemical methods or using a magnet or just panning them of the heavier metals, but they still get different results. So where does glass get its color? Usually some variety of impurity in it. I think that's just kind of how the light is reflected or refracted. That's a whole complex thing of wavelengths and reflections and transparencies and refraction and uh, other things that I only have a vague understanding of. (laughs) 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 But uh, a lot of metals and other compounds are added as pigments into glass for adding color. I actually played with that when I was messing with obsidian because it started turning transparent. The more I worked with it, the more flux that I added and everything... And I used uh, nickel and chromium to dye it black again. That's really interesting.
0: So obsidian is a natural occurring form of glass.
1: Yeah, and it's something we uh, came into across a giant field of it in Utah and collected buckets of it. And we were just going to do something with making napped weapons out of it Mm -hmm. as kind of a lead-in to making actual swords and other weapons. And uh, it actually was pretty popular, so we explored it more and— That somehow turned into trying to see if I can actually melt it and recast and work with obsidian like you would a normal glass. And that went
0: really well on YouTube anyways.
1: Yeah, something with the algorithm really liked it. it Got a a strong response and uh, got over, I don't even know how many views it is. 14 million last time I checked. Oh. It's also been responsible for 30% of our subscribers. What? Total. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Like... All the other videos are like two percent at best.
0: <laughs> that's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's helped us get discovered. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's for sure. That's a real glass all the way full of obsidian. So why should people
1: care about glass? Uh, it has been a very important discovery, and just like the development of humanity is it's both useful to have transparent containers that can store things it's helped a lot with science and being able to measure things and do accurate uh, experiments and stuff but also the refractive qualities of optically clear glass allows eyeglasses to correct your vision it allows you to make microscopes see and see the whole invisible world and led to the discovery of microorganisms that kind of has revolutionized our understanding of medical knowledge um, and allows us to see out to space and really expands the world i couldn't believe
0: like because glass is something especially i take for granted all the time like i don't wear glasses but the littlest bit i've like peeked into this and then watching your projects there's so much to this yeah Uh, it's pretty incredible explain to me the different projects you've done with glass
1: yeah so we started first with the bottle and in that way we made glass from scratch-ish because we just i collected the sand then they added store-bought flux into it which i hadn't even known about at that point and i like made a mental note we didn't really do this from scratch we need to get these fluxes all the way from scratch and it seemed like an easy task at the time like oh yeah because we were able to make pretty clear glass just from that so it's like we just need to go get some of these fluxes and then we'll do it for real and it seemed clear enough that like let's do something more complicated like what about glasses like i wear glasses I use them every day. We should uh, see how hard that would be to make. It's hard. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so what
0: were the processes you had to get from your bottle glass to get to optically clear glass?
1: Well, the first challenge was a flux and finding a source for that. I was working with glass makers who like, spent their whole life working with glass, but they aren't like historical makers of it. They just buy the mix. So like they some vague ideas and like maybe we can collect some of uh, the, the weeds from the lakes here and burn it which isn't really necessary because uh i was actually connected with lewis dartnell the uh an author of the knowledge and uh he has made glass from scratch and i talked to him and he pointed me the direction of the potash of a source of something i can easily produce here locally in minnesota by just getting hardwood ashes interesting so that was what my first attempt at glass was with that type of flux, which wasn't the most effective. I would say it got pretty close. There were pieces of parts of it that looked um, more clear than others. Like stuff at the bottom of the crucible was actually very clear-ish, <laughs> but the stuff that we actually poured was very thick and cloudy, and they had lots of bubbles in it. And it, like light could pass through it, but you couldn't see through it. So they it didn't end up making the best eyeglasses.
0: Now you're working on lenses
1: like mm-hmm. that are
0: not just clear, but like actually accurate. Yeah. And that's a whole different science as well.
1: Yeah. Because on top of trying to make the glass that's actually clear, which I only recently have finally figured out, I've also been trying to grind the lenses to accuracy and have had mixed results. Um, my eyeglasses were kind of... They weren't even. Glasses are generally a little bit easier to make because you aren't necessarily focusing it as much as you are with like a telescope or a camera you're just kind of correcting slight deviations in your eyes so if your eyes aren't too bad mine aren't horrible it's only requires a small amount so they were actually pretty effective and allowed me to see but they were uneven because i didn't have a good curved way to grind it in in a symmetrical way And then I tried a method for the telescope that it was better, but it wasn't accurate enough. So my end result was very blurry and kind of just a blob. So that was kind of a failure. But since then, I've learned new techniques for making lenses a little bit more accurate. Have you? Did you look into fiber optics at all? Well, the same guy we talked to who told me about the leaded glass protecting you from nuclear explosions. He is a collector of a compound called Ulexite which is, like, a natural form of fiber optics. Whoa. Yeah, which is different than transparency in glass because rather than light passing through it, it's actually being more or less projected. So when you hold it up to things, you're not seeing, like, through it. You're seeing, like, whatever it's touching right now is on the top of it.
0: And that's naturally occurring. Yeah,
1: and they they used to collect this and study it when they were first developing fiber optics. Fiber optics are a lot better than it. This is only Mm -hmm. usually, like, maybe up to an inch thick it can go um but it's really weird and an interesting compound to play with yeah so after we did the the telescope was one of the last ones we did and um we did like the whole series on optics never made clear glass in the whole process and then kind of just tabled it for a while until i could like really figure it out and that summer we ended up taking a trip to utah to collect the soda ash i thought it might be uh, a compound that would help which i would say it did but it wasn't quite enough. So then we teamed up with Cody's Lab and King of Random, and we tried to get it to the next level. And then we we produced almost clear glass, (laughs) because it ended up very tinted dark, and uh, still not quite optical grade. Mm -hmm. So after that, then I was like, okay, I've done a lot of videos on glass that have all been failures, I need to figure this out before I do another video. <laughs> People are going to lose interest if I just fail, 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 fail. Like, I got to get better at everything to make this happen. How many times have you tried to make glass? For, uh, with actual videos, I think there's about six. Okay. And in those, I have multiple attempts. <laughs> Not just making the glass, but trying to anneal it, which is its own challenge that uh, I'm actually still trying to figure out. And that's what I've been struggling with this week. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I... um Need to spend some time figuring this stuff out. Interestingly, the compounds I had collected for making glass are also often used for a lot of um, cleaning stuff. So we ended up doing a series on that. Um, We've done a few different videos. I did soap. um, I did toothpaste. And we're going to be doing laundry detergent. The compounds I collected for that, to process them, I learned some more chemistry and learned ways to purify it because before I was just kind of throwing in random stuff and like, oh, here's some limestone. I'll just throw the whole thing in there. Like now I know how to chemically purify it, turn it into calcium oxide, and then reduce it back to calcium carbonate. So then it's just a pure compound. You filter out all the impurities. And I can see all the brown stuff I've removed that was in my glass before. You can kind of see why it wasn't that clear. So that's crazy. Yeah. So that through that I learned like how to better purify and how to do better chemistry um, with the toothpaste. I learned how to um, chemically purify the sand itself. So I learned how to like, chemically separate it and kind of condense it back to silicon dioxide, which is just like pure um, the stuff you want, I guess. <laughs> okay. It's, it has no other impurities, no other thing, nothing else mixed in with it. Um, and it's also a common ingredient in toothpaste as a polishing agent. Oh. Yeah. You, if you look at the ingredients of well, toothpaste, it's like one or two. Number ingredient, that's crazy. Yeah, so you're really brushing your teeth with glass. It's like <laughs> proto glass. Proto glass. Okay. Because uh, let's talk a little chemistry. <laughs> okay, let's talk chemistry. <laughs> because uh, when you heat glass, you're actually like breaking apart the compounds. So um, the a lot of them are like two part compounds of sodium and carbonate, and when you bake it, the sodium stays the carbonate escapes. So, like the silicon dioxide, the dioxide escapes. Most di- oxides or carbons will be released when you heat it up that hot. The end result is mostly silicon and silicon and sodium and any other fluxes you're using. And this also causes it to be kind of highly reactive, I believe, is my understanding. I'm not an expert on this. Just let me throw in the caveat. This could be complete BS. <laughs> but... Um, when molten glass just destroys everything, and I've gone through, uh, I believe my count is eight. I just repaired my kiln yesterday, or it was the day before, after breaking it again. Um, nice. <laughs> but glass is just highly reactive because it, it's, you've released the thing that makes it stable at the other compound. So without that, then it just wants to kind of react with everything while it's still molten and also burning and everything. So it just like dissolves through everything. <laughs> And just leaves huge messes, breaks everything. That's definitely part of the challenge involved with it.
0: Yeah, I was super surprised because I've I've walked into the room and your kilns are lined with fire brick, and then mm-hmm. this rogue glass that you're making yeah. will just like melt through it like like sci-fi movie style. Yeah, where it's just like aqua, like total like it's glass. Yeah, but it just creates this crazy color scheme and mm-hmm. just melts through these bricks.
1: Yeah, I keep running into issues with of doing it over and over again. That uh, my crucibles will break because they're just so reactive. Like after so many uses, it'll eventually break through it, or it'll make some mistake of like letting the crucible cool too quickly or whatever. You're dealing with some very extreme temperature changes that are, are very difficult on things, and cause it to break. And then you get molten glass that seeps into and destroys everything. And then the thing I've learned the hard way is that even after it's cooled and um, just stuck to the side of it, you have to remove it because as soon as you heat it up again, it's just going to keep going and just, like, keep burning its way through everything.
0: That's crazy. So it's like lava. Yeah. Which
1: is how obsidian
0: is, right? Yeah. So glass has a silicon base, and you figured out how to purify that and get that from sand. hmm And then you had to add this flux.
1: Mm-hmm. All this chemical stuff that, that helped, but it wasn't the missing ingredient in the end. Like It, it helped with some—I was failing on multiple levels. That cured some of them. But the biggest one was solved through borax. And what, what is borax? Yeah, what is borax? It's, it's just a mineral. It's just—you uh, can add it to your laundry detergent, and it'll help improve it. But it's also a flux. Ah. And it lowers the melting point even further and that, that was a missing ingredient for a lot of things, is that it's really hard to get that super high temperature when you don't have your own glass studio. Yeah. I've tried a few different kilns and forges and stuff, and they all kind of cap out right below like an ideal melting temp. So with the addition of borax it lowers everything down and makes it a lot easier at uh, both a smaller scale when you have smaller resources for a kiln. How did you discover you needed borax? Uh, It was suggested to me, i a bunch of people share a link with me to Applied Science, who's a YouTuber who does some, like, really in-depth scientific research on his channel. He was actually trying to make uh, chromatic glass, which is, like, transition lenses. You can get special glasses, that when you step out into the sunlight, they turn to sunglasses. Yeah, so he was trying to do that. But in the process, he had to make a bunch of small batches of glass, which is different than what most glass blowers do when they do, like, large vats of it. So he... In his own way of trying to solve it, learned how to do small batch stuff. And the thing he recommended is one-third sand, one-third soda ash, one-third borax mix. And after I watched that, I did a little experiment and got the first clear glass I've been able to make.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible.
1: Yeah. And then uh, I think the thing is that, like, all the problems I've solved along the way were also necessary. Because he he used soda ash rather than potash. Which has a lower melting point, and makes it easier too. So, and then to chemically purify them, and everything is like it was all a bunch of necessary steps to get to where I warmed up. But and without any single piece of them, you don't get clear glass. That's incredible. Is that kind of how it happened in history too? It, it is kind of a mystery how exactly glass came to be, and I suspect that at first it was only semi-transparent. And then they just kind of refined it over generations and generations. There's always those happy accidents. And that's kind of one of the theories of how glass was made or how glass was invented of just like coming from ceramics and accidentally firing a glaze on its own or something, I think. And uh, realizing, oh, you can make something that's kind of transparent and then um, improving it, throwing in random stuff they have nearby, I guess, and seeing what works. And eventually I discovered like, oh, these plants by the ocean that have salt in them, they make clearer glass and they make it easier. And it's just a very slow evolution that, to my knowledge, isn't necessarily known fully mm-hmm. and recorded. So to make my glass, I kind of had to reinvent the wheel in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because everybody who does it now, it's, they just have their mixes, and they're just have, they always doing
0: large batch stuff, so you had to do it. Yeah. Okay, so that was flux. The borax, the soda ash, mm-hmm. uh, were the flux, and then you had your silicon sand base. Yep. And so then you had to heat it up. Yes. And
1: what role does heat play in glass making? Oh, well, we kind of talked about it. That it kind of forces out all the, the other part of the compounds, so they all can kind of react together and form a glass And this is kind of a little above my understanding. I am a chemistry dropout. (laughs) 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 Almost went into chemical engineering and then decided I want to do something easier with videos and stuff. (laughs) And now I'm doing chemistry again. Everything haunts us. Yeah. So it's something about how you're releasing those compounds and then it it cools relatively quick in a way that it won't react with outside stuff. But, of course, it can't cool too quick. Or it'll have, it'll have internal stress and shatter. That's the annealing that we talked about at the beginning. That's necessary. So it's kind of a combination all this to form something that's called an amorphous solid that is ideal for making glass. That that, tra- <laughs> that tracks with what I learned about glass. Yeah, and I think that that just has to do with the transitional state of it that you, that you can make it soft by adding heat and reshape it and work it, and then it'll cool and turn to something solid and hard. Um, It doesn't mean it's still a liquid. It isn't a liquid when it's cold. And the whole myth that like old windows in churches, they are uh, slowly going to the bottom is false. Mm -hmm. They were made that way. They couldn't make perfectly flat glass, which is a whole other challenge I haven't even started on. (laughs) (laughs) But to make a, a pane, usually one side with thicker, and then if you can put it on there, you can put the heavy end on the bottom. Yep. So glass is solid when it's room temperature.
0: I think that's a really interesting fact that people thought it was like a liquid. Yeah. Because amorphous solid does kind of imply some sort of liquidity. Yeah.
1: But the fact that it's it's actually stable, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. So talk to me about the challenges of annealing. Um so glass, usually you're working around two thousand degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, that's when it's molten. Sometimes you work twenty three hundred, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, And then room temperature is 70 degrees or something. Um, So that's almost a 2,000, at least 2,000 degree change. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you do too quick, then the inside will still be kind of soft, while the outside is brittle and um, shrinking. And that will cause tension that will cause the whole thing to explode. As you can imagine, a thicker piece of glass is going to cool slower on the inside. So the thicker your glass is, the harder and longer it takes to anneal. And annealing is just kind of slowly lowering the temperature and there's like a whole schedule of going to like different phases of where it's more stable and holding it there for a while and then slowly decreasing it at a specific rate. And there's advanced calculations and like people have PhDs and figuring this stuff out to to develop different forms of glass and know how to work with it. So because I'm working in kind of my own unique blend of glass, it has unique challenges of... not knowing the annealing information, so I've gotten it close, but now I'm working with thicker glass for my lenses, for the camera lenses, and uh, because I'm off, they keep shattering. No. Yeah.
0: So normally, to make glass things in the in the past, there's been a blowing process, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like glass blowing is something most people have a, a little understanding of. Yeah. They know you once you get that perfect mix, you know you can blow into it mm-hmm. make different cool shapes and then they can cool it which is called annealing yep which is such a fun word but now so we have glasses and we have glass everything does that have to go through the same process or is that different per every kind of glass
1: well there's basically there's two ways of working with glass more or less and there's hot working and cold working hot working is when basically you're working like clay and while it's still hot and it's almost liquid and you're able to shape it you're able to blow into it and make bottles and bubbles. Um, you can like just use metal tools and shape it into amazing things, if, depending on the talent of the artist. So that is its own skill. And then you let it cool through the kneeling process to room temperature, then there's cold working. And that's where you basically are grinding and polishing it to whatever shape you want from there. And a lot of intricate arts involve hot working then followed up with cold working. So with lenses, oftentimes it's mostly cold working. Today, most lenses are like ground on a CNC machine to the, the absolute accuracy that's needed. Crazy. The method I'm doing is using metal spheres, basically, to, that are the right curvature that I'm looking for and just using them to grind the glass lenses to that specific shape.
0: That's really old school.
1: Yeah. To get the perfect curvature in the metal that I'm using, um, we actually used a CNC machine that was able <laughs> to do metal, not glass, though. It is a skill to make things that are perfectly round. But when that, the method I'm replicating was first done, metal workers had making spheres down pretty good, I assume through, like, cannonballs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty easy to just bend some sheet metal over it and use that. Um, so we're using a CNC machine. I mean, I was asking the guy the history of, like, when did they first come up with these? And apparently it goes all the way back to, like, 50s. Like they first had punch cards and uh, that was very basic things. Um, so I'm not sure exactly when they transitioned to being able to do like very fine detail on glass. I imagine that's fairly recent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a whole other ways they're still developing now to do it. Um, camera lenses are a good example of like just the technology because
0: mm-hmm. um, as the cameras get better and better, the glass technology is also getting crazy as
1: well. Yeah. And the, the method I'm replicating is something that was done at least into like the 60s. Um, they just like automated it to like giant machines doing fifty lenses at once and everything. Wow. Yeah, I totally forgot about the microscope. Yeah, started with the container of just a glass bottle, and then saw I was fairly clear, so I wanted to try going into optics and making my own glasses. Didn't end up all that great. Optically clear glasses basically um, glass you can see through, and um, you just can't have too many air bubbles. You can have some. It'll just have defects, but um, you can have some bubbles and you can have some coloration and cloudiness, but enough to actually just see through it is basically the minimum requirement. Um, And I wasn't able to get that first pass. Um, Then after that, I tried to go even more complicated and try to make a microscope, which uh, it's a simple microscope. So it's just a matter of making a tiny little bead of glass, which um, still wasn't able to make clear glass myself but I used store-bought glass and was able to make an actually effective microscope and see um, microscopic organisms, which is pretty cool. That's way cool. Yeah. Um, And then I wanted to see big stuff, so I decided to make a telescope, which was even less successful. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, hoping to revisit it someday and make it work again. So you finally made clear glass after that? Yeah. We did a few more attempts, tried to make clear glass in Utah. Didn't quite work. Very close and got the last few missing ingredients, and finally got clear glass, and now I'm trying to put it to use to make a camera lens.
0: Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If the subject of glass and these glass projects we talked about today pique your interest, you can watch the videos on YouTube or check out our website, makeeverything.tv. If you're interested in more details in the show notes, please head over to makeeverything.tv forward slash simply complex. If you have any suggestions or just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. Toddcast at makeeverything.tv is our email. Next week, we'll be moving from the camera lens to the camera itself. And if taking so many pictures is changing us as people. We look forward to next time. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Thanks again for listening. Talk with you next time.